0: The voice of God is a terror to sinners. The voice of God brings great terror to those who are outside of God's will. You might remember when Adam first sinned against God. He ran and hid. He ran and hid. And then his excuse is this. He said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. The voice of God is a terror to those who have sinned against God. You might remember when the Ten Commandments are given. Once again, there is terror... And there is fear because God, his voice thunders forth. And people hear it and they fear. Deuteronomy 5.25 says, If we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more then we shall die. There is coming a day in which all of the earth and all sinners will hear the voice of God. And great terror will fall upon them. And some will ask, some will pray, that the mountains and the hills will fall upon them, because they will be fearing the wrath of the Lamb. They will want some brief rest, some brief respite from the terror which is theirs. But for the Christian... For the believer and for the psalmist, there is something much more terrorizing. There is something much more fearful. And we find it in verse 1. He says, be not silent to me. For the psalmist and for the believer... Much more fearful than the voice of God is the silence of God. If God stops speaking to me, even the very thought of it sends chills down my spine. Have you ever received the silent treatment from someone? Someone stops speaking to you, someone that you love, someone that you adore. And they cut off communication. It is an awful experience. And David the psalmist and the people of God cry out, If you will be silent, then I will be like those that go down to the pit. For the Christian, the silence of God is a temporary hell. There's so much in this psalm. There's so much that I'd like to cover. But we'll focus on just a few things this morning. First, the silence of God. But I want you to see that God is not silent, not permanently anyways, to David. For in verse 2, you'll see that he prays. And in verse 6, we see the result of his prayer. I'd like to highlight just verses 2 and 6 before we really dive into verse 7. Look what it says. Hear the voice of my supplications when I cry unto thee, when I lift up my hands toward thy holy oracle. He is praying and he is asking for God to answer his prayers. And then in verse 6, Blessed be the Lord because he hath heard the voice of my supplications. There is some time, it seems, between praying for God to act in verse 2, and God delivering in verse 6. There are some Christians who are content to, to send their prayers up to heaven, and to And never to think of them again. They send them up there and they just move about their business. The psalmist does not like that. The psalmist is not content with that situation. He prays to God and he pours himself into his prayers and then he looks and he waits and he prays again. Waiting for God to answer. And then when God answers, he remembers it. And he looks back and he says, see, God has answered me. And for that I thank him and for that I praise him. Let us focus today, though, on verse 7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him and I am helped. Therefore my heart greatly rejoiceth. And with my song will I praise him. You're probably not accustomed to quotations here from the person that I'm about to quote. It's a bit strange. You'll see why in a moment. Let us focus on the first part, though, that you are strong only in the Lord. You are strong only. Only in the Lord. The Buddha, the founder of a false religion. He says, no one saves us but ourselves. No one can and no one may. We ourselves must walk the path. Sit and meditate upon that. You must save yourself. No one else can save you. This is ancient Eastern ideas. But it sounds kind of American, doesn't it? It sounds very much like our American pick-yourself-up-by-the-bootstraps. Our individualism. I can do it. I'll do it myself. I don't need anyone. But that is not how the psalmist would see things. That is not how your God would have you to see things. You would not pick yourself up by the bootstraps. You would not deliver yourself. If you seek to deliver yourself, then into destruction you will go. We so often are inclined to trust. If we do not trust in ourselves, then we trust in other people. We trust in other people to make us feel good. We trust in other people to give us things, to give us compliments. And sometimes we live for the praise of other people. Sometimes we care so much about what other people think of us. And we care so little about what God thinks of us. We should have at the forefront of our minds... What does God think of this? Has he spoken upon this? Has he said anything about this? And what are his thoughts about me today? Instead, we indulge in the thoughts of other people. And many of our actions, they take place. We do things so that others will praise us and honor us. but God would have us to see. That it is not in ourselves, it is not in other people that we are strong. It is only in God Himself. The Lord is my strength. He is the one who is powerful and able to deliver you and to deliver me from sin and all other things that drag us down. But you'll see that in verse 7, He also says that the Lord is my strength. But he is my shield. The Lord is my shield. There's much that we could do with that. Much application that we could draw. You might think later on how the the Apostle Paul will talk about the shield in Ephesians chapter 6, 10 and following. That would be good. We could apply it that way. God is a shield to us. He shields us from Satan's darts and Satan's attacks. But I think there's something else going on here as well. You might be familiar with the way that uh, when God comes to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. Of course, his his, uh, name is Abram at that time. God says this. This is his greeting. After these things, the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. God says to Abraham, to Abram, I am your shield. And here is David. We could say, taking that and applying that to himself, appropriating that to himself, because he is the anointed one, because he is the king, because God has brought him into an estate of great blessing, just as God did for Abram, so has he done for David. We trust In the Lord with our hearts and we must trust in him with all of our hearts. There are times when our hearts, our hearts are overwhelmed. There are times when we struggle with sin. There are times when we struggle with great discouragement. And if we would trust in ourselves or if we would trust in other people then our discouragement will be really great and we will especially be prone to being overwhelmed. David tells us, Psalm 61, 2, he says, From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. David is saying, When I am far away from God. When I am at the end of the earth. Understand he's not talking about intercontinental travel here. He's talking about his struggles. He's talking about being far away from God. God hiding his face at times. He is talking about God being silent to him. Where will he look? He'll not look to himself. He will not look to uh, other people. He will look to God himself. So where do you go? A friend stabs you in the back, says all sorts of things. Someone close to you passes away. A family member lets you down. You are overwhelmed. Where do we go? We must go to the one who is strong. We must go to the one who is our shield. And we must lift up prayers unto him. And we must seek for the answering of these prayers if they are prayers of faith, which are offered in faith. We must do so with a trusting heart. A heart trusts in the Lord. That's what David says. He said, my, tr- my heart trusted in him, and I am helped. It's not enough to simply know that God is there and that he is true. Even the demons do that. We must place our trust in God. Demons do not place their trust in God, but we must we must trust in the one who is strong, who is our tower and who is our shield. And we would offer up the only thing that he would find acceptable in us and that would be a broken heart when David sins against God, talk about being far away from God. He sins by adultery and he sins by setting up the death of the the husband of the woman that he is committing adultery with, when he realizes that he has sinned, he is far from God, he is out of communion with God, then he realizes that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. He says in Psalm 51, a broken and a contrite heart, O Lord, you will not despise. It is only A heart that trusts in God that can come before him and say, this is what you will accept. A broken heart. A contrite heart. There are certain people that you ought not to share the inmost secret details of your life with. There are some people that as soon as you say anything to them, They go and they whisper it about to all sorts of other people. Every single person needs at least one, hopefully a few people that they can confide in and talk about the inmost things, even things that would bring shame and embarrassment. Spouses ought to be that especially, but good friends and best friends as well. There are certain people you cannot reveal everything to. Why? Because they have not earned trust yet. But to those who have earned trust, you may go to them. And they will not despise you. They will not use these things against you. And that is how the Lord is. He is one you can trust with your inmost thoughts and sins. And so you go to him with a broken heart, but a trusting heart. And when you do that and you know that you are forgiven, then you have a rejoicing heart. That's what he says. My heart greatly rejoiced. We rejoice in the victory of the Lord for us. We rejoice in the God who does not cast us off. Brings us near to Himself. We rejoice from the heart in a God who is merciful and kind to us, who has set His love upon us, a love that we did not deserve, but a love that He has bestowed upon us nonetheless. And this is in contrast with the mischievous heart. Because in verse 3, see what he says? He says, Draw me away from the wicked and with the workers of iniquity, which speak peace to their neighbors, but mischief is in their hearts. There are some who will walk up to someone face to face and they will say whatever that person wants to hear. They will flatter them and then they will stab that person in the back. You'll notice that David talks about his own heart, trusting heart, and rejoicing heart, and then he talks about the mischief which is in the heart of the unbeliever. We could say that David drives home for us in this psalm the fact that The matter of the heart is the heart of the matter. These who would have a mischievous, deceptive heart would do great harm to people. Why? Because they still have a rock, a stony heart, a heart of unbelief. But for the people of God, we understand that the only difference between them and us is that God has worked upon our hearts. God has transplanted our hearts, taking a heart of stone and giving us a heart of flesh. And the beating of our hearts is after the goodness and the grace of God. And that is why we trust and that is why we rejoice in him. And the wicked will go on deceiving and being deceived and doing awful things. And it is customary for the people, the people of God, when they see the goodness of God and the grace of God, what do they do? They sing, they sing and they rejoice. And that is how he ends verse 7. And with my song will I praise him. Song is a great response to the great acts of God. When God delivered the Hebrews out of Egypt, they sang. Because God has delivered us from our sin, we sing. Whenever God acts in mighty ways, the people of God sing. Psalm 40, verse 3 says, He hath put a new song in my heart, even praise unto our God. God puts a new song into our hearts. Sometimes the new song is an old song. It's interesting, is it not? Sometimes the way that God uses the word new in the Word of God talks about new moons. You think that God invents a new moon every month? No, he doesn't. It's the same moon. But it is new to us. He renews our minds and he renews our hearts. Jesus says to the disciples in John chapter 13, 33 and following, he says that he gives them a new commandment. In fact, it's just the old commandment, but it is given a new commandment. God gives us a new song. Sometimes it is the old song, but he makes it new to us. I spoke about the terror, the terror of a silent God. And I praise God for the fact that maybe not many of us, or few of us have truly known the silence of God. But there is one, the Lord Jesus, who truly understood the silence of God in a way that you and I could never understand. For it is the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ who spent all of eternity, if we can even speak that way, all of eternity past in deep, Fellowship with his father. For all of eternity, the father adored the son. And the son adored the father. And they delighted in one another. But it was upon the cross where, in a sense, that communion was broken off. It was upon the cross where... He ultimately, Jesus, understood the silence of God. And he says in Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the gospel writers, Matthew and Mark, they pick this up, and they talk about this, they quote this, Jesus endured the silence of God. And the wrath of God was poured out upon him for your sins and for mine. He endured unspeakable wrath of God and pains in his body and in his soul that you and I might be brought to the Father, that we might be brought to heaven. And we can say that because of the work of the Lord Jesus that he continues to speak. In Hebrews chapter 1, where we begin, the writer to the Hebrews says, there are all, all these diverse and different ways that God spoke to us and to our fathers in the past. How did he speak? Sometimes he spoke through prophets and Sometimes he spoke through visions, and sometimes through dreams. Sometimes he spoke through animals. All sorts of diversity in the ways that God spoke in the Old Covenant. But the writer to the Hebrews says, In these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son, and the son continues to speak to us he speaks to us in the word of god and he speaks to us things that cause us to rejoice he speaks to us telling us for example in john 14:27 he says my peace i leave with you my peace i give you not as the world gives you I give you greater peace. And he says, let not your heart be troubled. And let your heart not be afraid. We have a God who speaks to us in the Son. We have a God who speaks to us. The Father speaking to us by the Father through the work of the Holy Spirit in the Word of God read and preached to us. And so we can say, and as we rejoice, we can say, God is not silenced. He is not silent to us. And We see at the end of our psalm, as we seek to come to a close, really the way that David prays for you and for me. He says, save thy people and bless thine inheritance and feed them also and lift them up forever. He is praying for his the, the, his own people of his own time, but he is praying for you as well. And it is a picture of the fact that the Lord Jesus himself is praying for you. Because Jesus is great David's greater son. The things that we see David doing, we ultimately see in many cases Jesus doing for us. And he feeds us, and he shepherds us, and he saves us, and he lifts us up. He lifts us up out of the mire and out of the filth of our sin, and he places us in heaven. That is what he has done for us. Our God is magnificent and wonderful. There is no God like this. There is no God who takes unworthy sinners and puts grace and peace upon them, and truth in them. There is no God like this. The gods of the nations, they do not hear, they do not see, and they do not speak. But our God speaks. Our God speaks to us. And in Jesus Christ, our high priest, he speaks for us, to the Father. Let us pray.